0: Hi, Daily 202 listeners. Allison Michaels here. I'm a politics editor for The Washington Post's audio team. I also host our weekly politics show, Can He Do That? Since James Holman became a Washington Post opinions columnist and left The Daily 202 podcast, we've been working on some new ideas from the audio team. We're dedicated to bringing you an even better experience with The Washington Post in audio, and we have some exciting plans underway to do just that. As we build those plans, we have made the tough decision to stop producing episodes of The Daily 202's Big Idea podcast at the end of this week. But don't unsubscribe from this feed. If you stay subscribed, you'll be among the first to hear news about our new podcasts. In the meantime, The Washington Post audio collection has so many other great shows for you to discover. Since we know you love daily news with us, subscribe to Post Reports, our flagship daily podcast. That show features unparalleled reporting, expert insight, and clear analysis every weekday afternoon. Or consider downloading the Washington Post app to get breaking news and analysis on your mobile device wherever you are. Lastly, as we work on news shows, we'd love to hear from you. And I've heard from so many of you already. I am so impressed, and I'd love to keep the feedback coming. What have you loved about The Daily 202's big idea? What do you wish were different? What kind of audio news show would you really want to see? I want to hear all of your feedback directly, so please reach out to me. My email is allison.michaels at washpost.com. That's allison with two L's, dot Michaels at washpost.com. Thank you all so much for your dedicated listening right here. We're excited about what's next, and we hope you'll join us. Okay, that's it. Here's your news for today. Good morning. I'm Allison Michaels with The Washington Post, and this is the last edition of The Daily 202 for Friday, April 2nd. In today's news, coronavirus vaccines are finally reaching poor countries, but some can't cover the cost of administering them. And women's sports can do at least one thing men's can't. Experts say that's get bigger. But first, the big idea. President Biden's infrastructure plan calls for an unprecedented boost in federal aid to the nation's passenger rail system. The plan seeks to address Amtrak's repair backlog, to extend service to more cities, and to modernize its network in the Northeast Corridor. The Post's Luz Lazo reports that the American Jobs Plan calls for $80 billion for rail. That money would be critical in taking passenger service to cities like Las Vegas and Nashville, and it could also help expand operations across large metropolitan areas like Atlanta and Houston. Under the White House plan, intercity rail could receive up to a 400% boost in funding, according to some estimates. That would be a transformational investment that could bring major rail expansions and millions more riders. The passenger railroad receives about $2 billion of federal subsidies annually to cover operations in its national and northeast network. It also receives grants and funding for state-sponsored service. Amtrak on Wednesday unveiled a plan to provide new intercity rail service to 160 communities, and to expand service in corridors with heightened demand for rail transportation. The passenger railroad also unveiled a map that highlights 30 possible new routes. In budget documents released Wednesday, the White House acknowledged that the nation's rail system lacks a multi-year funding stream to address deferred maintenance and to enhance some of its service. The federal funding would help Amtrak with long-needed upgrades to tracks, tunnels, and bridges in the Northeast, which is the nation's busiest rail corridor. Amtrak has a $45.2 billion backlog of projects that it says are needed to bring its assets to a state of good repair in the region. Among those projects is the replacement of the Civil War-era Baltimore and Potomac Tunnel in Baltimore. That's expected to cost $4.5 billion dollars. Other improvements could be achieved by replacing the North River Tunnels, a more-than-century-old structure that carries about 200,000 daily passenger trips beneath the Hudson River between New Jersey and New York. An $11.3 billion plan would double the capacity of existing tunnels which were damaged by Hurricane Sandy back in 2012. The path for this infrastructure plan in a divided Congress is really unclear. Democrats who narrowly control both chambers generally are enthusiastic about the proposal, as are transportation advocates, but the plan received a cold reception from Republican congressional leaders. Many are questioning aspects of the plan and the tax increases that Biden has proposed to pay for it. Rail advocates, though, say they plan to campaign in order to build support for the plan. Regardless, the proposal marks a new moment for Amtrak, which under the Trump administration was targeted for budget reductions. Trump's final budget proposal sought to slash federal aid to Amtrak by more than half, as well as phase out aid for long-distance service. Rail has historically received limited federal aid in comparison with highways and other vehicle-related infrastructure. But Jim Matthews, the chief executive of the Rail Passengers Association, said Biden's plan has the potential to, quote, revolutionize the way Americans travel. Amtrak's proposed expansion would connect more cities and increase train frequencies in some corridors by 2035, when it expects to then serve 20 million more passengers. Amtrak served a record 32.5 million passengers in 2019, before the coronavirus pandemic. And that's the big idea. Here are two other stories that should be on your radar. Number one. Coronavirus vaccines have begun to trickle into some of the world's poorest nations, in large part thanks to COVAX. That's the World Health Organization-backed initiative to distribute vaccine doses equitably. But once doses arrive on airport tarmacs, it is up to each country to finance distribution, including the salaries of healthcare workers to administer the shots. In many cases, that funding isn't readily available. The Post's Miriam Berger reports that the flow of vaccine doses COVAX has supplied so far remains relatively manageable. Countries in need can, in theory, apply for funding to support distribution from donors, including the World Bank and the United States. But public health experts told The Washington Post that many low-income countries are are on track to face acute shortages of trained and salaried healthcare workers in a few months when these COVAX shipments increase. And they're worried about how limited resources would be allocated. Many African countries have a low number of health personnel per capita. By some estimates, coronavirus vaccine rollouts would take 10 years in some poor countries if they were to rely only on existing healthcare worker capacity policymakers are having to consider not just the number of workers available to administer the shots, but they also need to train and fund additional staff and conduct community outreach to dispel vaccine hesitancy. The world was already facing a massive shortage in healthcare workers when the pandemic hit. But of course, the pandemic has increased that strain. At least 84 countries saw strikes in the sector last year over poor working conditions. Worldwide, women dominate healthcare work and have disproportionately borne the effects of short staffing during this global crisis. And while COVAX is intended to help even out vaccine distribution, the focus on getting doses to countries has overshadowed other factors, like the number of healthcare workers available to distribute them. Number two. During a meeting of women's basketball coaches with the NCAA president on Wednesday, the Georgia Tech coach issued a plea. Instead of treating her sport like a cost to minimize, the NCAA should see it the way so many others increasingly do, as an opportunity for growth. The Post's Ben Strauss and Molly Hensley-Clancy report that the virtual meeting came after weeks of complaints of gender inequity. The NCAA has met those complaints with apologies, but also rationalizations purportedly rooted in economics. In a fact sheet distributed to news outlets, the association said the women's tournament loses millions every year and has to be subsidized by the men's event. But there is a growing belief across sports that women are actually one of the best investments in the industry. Ratings are up. Female athletes are steadily commanding more attention from fans and from marketers. And brands and venture capitalists are pouring money into women's sports. As a result, TV and sponsorship revenue for women's sports are expected to soon eclipse $1 billion globally. That's according to a recent report by Deloitte. According to four media executives and industry consultants, the finances of the women's tournament presented by the NCAA say less about the event's popularity than they do about the way the organization thinks about women's sports. The NCAA casts the tournament as an economic burden, but these experts say the association has made little attempt to maximize its revenue. And that's the final Daily 202 for Friday, April 2nd. I'm Allison Michaels. Thank you for all of your dedicated listening. Thank you for all of the feedback you've sent. And thank you for your continued commitment to Washington Post reporting. We will be back here with great things to come. Thanks again.